0: All right, anxiety and fear. Um, and Wesley, could you also close the doors on your way back? Wesley, all kinds of stuff. And then come back up here and teach this lecture. <clears throat> okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity we have uh, to look at your word again together. I pray you would help us to be further equipped for ministry because of this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. All right. Here's the question. Provide a biblical definition of anxiety and fear. Describe manifestations of anxiety and worry in both the inner and outer man. Explain the biblical factors that drive anxiety and fear. Detail several biblical strategies to respond to anxiety and fear. So four parts of this question. And your outline in your notes have Roman numerals 1, 2, 3, and 4, which correspond to these four parts of the question. All right, a biblical view of anxiety and fear. Anxiety is being actively concerned about something, especially desiring that something concerning would not happen. And concern is not a result of the fall. Concern is the God-given ability to mobilize the forces of the body and mind to focus upon a problem, so says J. Adams. The verb sometimes translated be anxious in the New Testament means be apprehensive, be concerned for it about, or just to care for and to care about. Uh, the noun translated anxiety in the New Testament could also be translated worry, care, concern. This makes sense, doesn't it? You're anxious about something. You're concerned about something. You care about something. Okay. And so a lot of times this word is used in a positive way in the New Testament. Because caring about things is good if you care about the right things most. So concern or anxiety can be commendable or sinful. Usually we reserve the word anxiety for a type of concern which is not commendable. What makes the difference of whether your concern is godly or not is, I think, two basic things. One, the objects of your concern. What are you concerned about? What is most worthy of your care or concern? And biblically, we should be concerned or anxious or worry and care most about... Time out. All right. I, I kind of developed these three parts. What should the objects of our concern be? These three things and not these three things. By just doing a word study of where is this verb that's sometimes translated be anxious in the New Testament... Where is the noun, sometimes translated anxiety in the New Testament? And see when it's used positively, see when it's used negatively, understand the context, and and you'll come up with with this understanding. This is a great assignment to give someone. Give them all of these references where it's used and ask them to make some personal reflections about what the Bible teaches about their concern. Okay, so uh, we should be most concerned, dare I say, anxious About God, His glory, His kingdom, pleasing Him. 1 Corinthians 7 2, Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. He's talking about the benefits of being single. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. And that's a good thing. He's anxious about how to please the Lord. Also in Matthew 33, the great passage of Jesus teaching on anxiety ends with seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And in context, seeking is what you strive after, which is whatever you're just concerned about, anxious about. Right before Matthew 6.33 and Matthew 6.31, Jesus says, do not be anxious by saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles... Seek after these things. But you seek first as opposed to seeking those things and being concerned most about them. Seek this thing that is the kingdom of God and be concerned about it. Make make the kingdom of God the object of your anxiety and your concern and care. Also, the good of others. Philippians two twenty. Paul says of Timothy, his spiritual son, I have no one like you. Who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That's the verb that's translated anxious. Who will be genuinely anxious for your welfare. That is, he cares about it. it and not just himself. Uh, 1 Corinthians twelve twenty five. 25. Uh, Paul, Paul says, God put the body, the church together in such a way that the members may have the same care for one another. Same word. May have the same concern for one another. May have the same anxiety for one another another paul talking about his relationship to the church in second corinthians 11:28 talks about the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches and this is not a, a prayer of repentance when paul says this okay he's not confessing sin the daily anxiety i feel for the churches he's saying i really care about the people of god and how they're doing especially their spiritual welfare Also, in 1 Corinthians 7, after it talks about how the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, it says the married man is anxious about worldly things, such as how to please his wife. That's a good thing, okay? A married man should be anxious about, that is, right? If if we take away the word anxiety and and the stigma of sinful concern, he should actually be concerned about and care about and focus the energies of his mind and body on Pleasing his wife. Okay. Is this clear? Maybe if it's, I'll say it louder if it's not clear. Matthew 634 on your notes, the reference is wrong. It says 44 and there is no such verse. Matthew 634 after Jesus said, teaches on anxiety and says, seek first the kingdom of God. Then he says, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Notice Jesus didn't say put off being concerned about tomorrow in order to live a life free of concern. No, put off concern about tomorrow and put on concern about today. Okay, it's it's almost like Jesus said, uh, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Be anxious about the trouble of today. But not sinfully, which is what we'll talk about in a little bit. Okay, so the biblical ideal is not a uh, carefree life. Don't worry, be happy is not the biblical answer for uh, sinful anxiety and fear. In fact, such a uh, I might mispronounce this laissez-faire. Is that did I get that? This laissez-faire attitude is condemned as sinful itself. 1 Corinthians 15. Let us eat and drink. Tomorrow we die. Meh, I'm not worried about anything. Okay, people who aren't worried about anything need to repent and start caring about the things that matter. God, the, the good of others, and their responsibilities that they have before the Lord today. Now, we should be on guard on the flip side not to be most concerned or anxious about the things or cares of this Life, the world, Matthew 6. Right? Don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, drink, uh, your body, what you'll put on. Okay? Um, also in the parable of the sower, when he says the, the sower sows the seed, which is the word of God. Uh, one of the soils that receives the word of God is the plant is choked out by thorns. And those thorns are described as, being among other things, the cares of the world. The anxieties of the world, things that, that you can be concerned about and care about that are focused on this life can actually uh, choke out the word, the effectiveness of the word of God in your heart. Why? Well, if you're most concerned about the things of this life, then when the word of God comes, you're not going to care most about it. You're going to be preoccupied thinking about the things of this life. Okay. Um, Luke 21. Jesus says, Watch yourself. Lest your heart be weighed down with one thing, two thing, Third thing, the cares of this life. And that day when Jesus comes back, comes upon you suddenly like a trap. Watch yourself. Lest the concerns that have to do with this life make you so preoccupied and focused on those things that, that you are not thinking about Christ coming back in his kingdom We should be on guard not to be most concerned about anything that distracts us from the Lord. Do you remember the story, story of Martha and Mary? And Martha's busy serving and doing other things. And you remember what Jesus says? You are anxious about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chose the better portion. So even good things, if they keep us from the one thing necessary, is sinful anxiety. Okay, sinful concern. Anything that distracts us from the Lord. Um, we could add to First Corinthians 7, 29-31. Add that. Is It's also um, in the same way I like to uh, torment young people. What? 7. First Corinthians 7, 29-31. Uh, I would add it right here. Right by this one. Just the three verses before, 29 through 31. Um, One of the first verses I like to bring up in doing premarital counseling is 1 Corinthians 7, 29, which says, let those who have wives live as if they don't have them. It's great. It's great. And then he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. What, What is he saying? Okay, don't look for Christ to come back. And don't be so preoccupied even about good things like your wife, which you should be anxious to please. Okay? Your concern about your wife should be relativized by your concern about Jesus and his kingdom. Okay? So anything that distracts us from the Lord that becomes our chief concern is, is something we need to be on guard against. Also, self-centered interests. Remember what Paul said about Timothy. Um, when he said, where did he say this? Ah, I I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned or anxious for your welfare. And then what's as opposed to that for they all seek their own interests or they all seek the things of themselves. And not those of Christ Jesus. And then earlier in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Paul says, don't just look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. This was the mind that's in Christ Jesus. So sinful concern is a preoccupation with only the things of yourself as opposed to the good of others, especially their spiritual good. Also, as we've already looked at, the things of tomorrow. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. And here are other scriptures that bear that out as well. So when we're anxious, we should learn to ask, are the main objects of my concern the possibilities of tomorrow or the responsibilities of today? The interests of self or the good of others? The glory of God and his kingdom or the things of the world in this life? Part two of a biblical view of anxiety and fear. Concern or anxiety can be commendable, or sinful. What makes the difference? Secondly is the object of your trust. Whom or what do you trust with all that concerns you? Okay. So even if. Even if. We are most concerned about the things that are most worthy of caring about. The kingdom of God. The responsibilities of today. Even if that's the object of our concern. We must trust the Lord. In his word, with all of our concerns, hence the the blanket statements about anxiety in scripture, like Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, do not be concerned about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Likewise, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all, all, all. even the the worthy anxieties. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Trusting the Lord with all that concerns us will look like prayer and obedience. And and we'll see that um, later. Okay, so concern, even concern that's rightly directed, that's set on the proper object can still be sinful if we're not trusting the Lord with it. So here's the summary. Sinful anxiety is being overly concerned about the wrong things, the things that don't matter most, and not trusting God with with all the things that concern us. So those are questions. Will we treasure God above all things? And will we trust God in all things? Fear is very similar to anxiety, and that's why this is the same lecture. Stuart Scott says, though anxiety and fear are not exactly the same, where you see one, you often see the other, because they're so very closely related. Anxiety usually involves worrying about what could possibly happen. Fear goes a step further and is more convinced that what is dreaded will really happen. Uh, similarly, Jay Adams calls worry just a lesser form of fear. Both have to do with um, the well, the things that we've just talked about. And the things that I'm about to talk about right now, like anxiety, fear can be sinful, f- or fear can be morally neutral. Okay? If, you're a, if you are on a train track with a broken leg and you see a train coming and you're afraid, that's not sinful. That's just normal, and it's good. It's, you have that, you know, to motivate you to do something, uh, move, etc. cetera. Um, or fear can be commendable, even, depending on, oh, the same two categories, the object of our fear and whether or not we trust God with all the things that we may fear. So the object of our fear. Repeatedly in Scripture, we're commanded to fear the Lord, And commanded not to fear other things. Ecclesiastes 12.13, command, fear God. And then we're commanded, I, I believe I've heard someone say that fear not is the most common command in all of Scripture. I haven't studied that myself and I don't even know if I'm remembering that correctly. So if you do write that down, put a question mark beside it. Okay. But it is for sure all over. So the Bible, in the Bible, there are commands to fear and commands not to fear. All right. So we need to fear the Lord and not other things. And we need to not fear other things and fear the Lord. Uh, Revelation one seventeen, Jesus said, fear not. Luke 12.32, Jesus said, fear not. The Proverbs repeatedly commend fearing God. So what is the object of your fear? Secondly, what is the object of your trust in the midst of fear? We are commanded in Scripture to trust the Lord when we fear other things. Psalm fifty-six, three says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Psalm 23, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Indicating I had fears. And I brought them to the Lord. He was the one that I put my trust in. Likewise, the Psalms are full of language like, I cried out to the Lord in my distress. Okay, distress is something like fear, right? So, um... What do we fear and then whom do we trust in the midst of all our fear? Godly fear leads us to trust and obey him and to love him and others. So Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is a kind of fear that uh, leads you toward the love of God and others. Um, There are other examples of that that I've listed here. But sinful fear leads us to disobey God and not love others, often in, in sins of omission. In Romans 3, this big passage, um, uh, quoting from the Psalms about how none is righteous, no, not one. And then it lists a bunch of ways that these people are sinful. These people being us, all of humanity. And then it ends with, there is no fear of God before their eyes. John twelve, forty two says, many of the authorities, religious authorities in Jerusalem Actually believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogues. This was a sinful fear that kept them from loving God and others. Likewise, Second Timothy one seven, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self control. So there's there's one one great test to see: Is my fear sinful or righteous? Okay. Well, is this fear a motivation for you to obey and love God and serve others? Or is this fear a motivation for you to withdraw from loving God and serving Him and be a witness for Him and for others? One helpful thing, and this is not this lecture necessarily, it's the lecture biblical theology of emotions. Um, Emotions are both a response to something and and meant to motivate us to do something they're both responsive and preparatory okay so what what am i what is the cause of my fear and what is my fear motivating emotion what is my fear motivating me to do and those are those are two helpful categories and tests to consider the righteousness or unrighteousness of any emotion including Anxiety, the feelings of anxiety and fear. Okay, summary. Sinful fear, just like anxiety, is when we fear anything more than God and when we don't trust our good, wise, sovereign God in the midst of fear. Manifestations of anxiety and worry in both the inner and outer man. Well, there are lots of them. Fear and anxiety um, can be the, res- the a result of other inner man problems. And, and it can spawn other inner man problems. I'll, I could, you know, just read these paragraphs out loud. I'll, I'll let you guys do that um, on your own. Okay. Let's keep going. Uh, biblical factors that drive anxiety and fear. The biblical factors that drive anxiety correspond to the two aspects of sinful anxiety considered above. Right. So one would be idolatry. If the object of our concern is messed up. And the other would be unbelief. If the object of our trust is messed up. So again, think about anxiety as idolatry. You're anxious about what you're concerned about. You're concerned about just what you care about. You care about what you love. You love what you worship. What you ascribe worth to. What you ascribe value to. What you ascribe worth to is what you worship. It's what you worship. It's what you'll be devoted to and serve. It's what you love. It's what you treasure, and therefore it's what you care about, and therefore it's what you're concerned about, and therefore it's what you're going to be anxious about. Notice how Matthew six twenty-five through thirty-four, the teaching of Jesus on anxiety is grounded upon what comes before it. It starts with therefore. Matthew 6:25 Therefore based on what I just told you do not be anxious about your life etc. Okay well what is Jesus basing this teaching about not being anxious about what you're going to you know, the things of this life what you're going to eat what you're going to wear etc. 19, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal verse 20 lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And where your heart is, there your eye will be also. That's what you're going to focus on. So verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If you're, if you're treasuring correctly. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, do not be anxious about the things of this life. You see that? Where your treasure is, there your anxiety will be also. Your present anxieties reveal... What you are truly devoted to, what you love, and what you serve. And I pulled those three words right out of verse 24. Love, devotion, serve, what masters you. That is what you will seek after, right? And therefore that is what you will be concerned about, what you will be anxious about. And I think the, the parallel of of um, do not be anxious and seek after running through this passage is helpful. This is not just, it's not just talking about a passing, just feeling of anxiety, like the physical sensation, okay? Is it what, it, it, it's an, a, an obsessed preoccupation, what is my life about? This is what my life is about, this is what I'm chasing after, this is what I'm concerned about. And frequently... Intense uh, feelings of anxiety are going to swirl around whatever that that treasure chest is for you that you've made your life about. In fact, Jesus says, uh, do not be anxious about your life is not life more than food. you know, it isn't life. Is this what life is all about? Then no, then don't be anxious about it. Then don't seek it. What is life about? God, okay, then seek first his kingdom. Make that the object of your concern. We could show the same thing. Luke twelve twenty two through 31 is the parallel passage from Matthew 6. Uh, that also starts with therefore and what's above it. What is Jesus grounding his teaching on anxiety in the gospel of Luke? Well, it's the same theme. And this time, the, right before it is the parable of the fool who built bigger barns. Storing up treasures for himself on earth. So again, it's a treasure issue. What is your treasure? Is it the things of this life? It shouldn't be. Therefore, do not be anxious about the things of this life. Do not... All the nations seek after the things of this life. Luke twelve thirty. All the nations of the world seek after these things. You be different, verse 31. Instead, seek his kingdom. And then after, he says for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. David Pallison says, a worrier is storing treasure in the wrong place. If what you most value can be taken away or destroyed, you set yourself up for anxiety. If your treasure is vulnerable, whatever is precious to you is threatened. You'll be gripped with fear. Where do you store your treasure? It's very helpful and convicting. Um, whenever I was taught that, <clears throat> fear, like anxiety, is a worship issue. It reveals what we desire, value, treasure, love, worship. If you look up that passage in Second Kings, it it basically says repeatedly, "What you know? What what was the covenant God made with you? Is that you would fear Him only and not fear other gods?" And he keeps repeating that as if fear is just substituted right in there for the first commandment, worship the Lord, your God only and not other gods or serve the Lord, your God only and not other gods. Uh, um, Be devoted to the Lord, your God only love the Lord, your God only and not other gods all, you know, through the Torah, uh, these, these, these different verbs are, are kind of insert worship verb, Uh, worship, love. Well, one of those is fear, fear the Lord, your God only and not other gods. Interestingly, J. Adams says, in the Bible, love for God and fear of God are nearly synonymous. Stuart Scott says, when we are fearing something else more than we fear God, it usually means we want something or love something more than we want or love God. Again, that this is as far as what, what fears are characteristic of us, right? If you uh, broke your leg and are laying on a train track and a train is coming and you're afraid that the train might run over you. Okay. I wouldn't say necessarily, Oh, oh were, were you fearing having a train run over you in that moment more than you were fearing God and pleasing him? Okay. No. <laughs> All right. Just big picture, right? I mean, maybe if he had like 20 minutes to lie there and think about what if a train came and if would, would your thoughts ever go toward God, I, I want to please you. I I want to fear you. I would rather dishonor you than avoid getting over. I would rather avoid dishonoring you than avoid getting run over by a train right now. So God, please help me to trust in you. Fear and desire are two sides of a single coin, David Pallison says. What do you love? This asks about the object of your desire. What do you fear? This asks about desires at risk. Again, just step back, speak broadly about all emotions. Emotions reveal desires. Okay? Happiness is a desire fulfilled. Sadness is a desire postponed, which we'll talk about later in depression. Anxiety or fear is a desire threatened. Um, Anger also is a desire unfulfilled. James 4. This is why Tim Keller uh, has said, if you pull on your strongest emotions... Uh, those that grip and often control and, and sometimes dominate your life, you will find your idols clinging to the roots of, of those strongest emotions. Unbelief, likewise. So, on the one hand, idolatry is a biblical factor that drives sinful anxiety. Unbelief is the other one, that, which corresponds to the other factor of whom do you trust with all that concerns you. So, anxiety and fear are often directly opposed to faith in Scripture. In Matthew 6, the passage on anxiety, Jesus says, O you of little faith, do not be anxious. Uh, In Matthew 8, Jesus says, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Sinful fear and faith, uh, unbelief, go together. In fact, a couple of times in the Gospels, Jesus commands, Do not fear, only believe. Indicating sinful fear is directly opposed to faith, belief, trusting in him. Also, anxiety and fear can come whenever we trust in anything other than God about the things that concern us. Here's a great example, Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man. And makes flesh his strength. Whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert. He shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness. In an uninhabited salt land. On the other hand. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by streams. Planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, and listen to this, and does not fear when heat comes in the year of drought, and it does not cease to bear fruit. So some, sometimes anxiety and fear is in part a result of, of placing our faith and our confidence in man or in anything other than the Lord. And it's, it's good and right for someone to be anxious if they're trusting in themselves or in anyone else. Anything else other than the Lord. Because no one or nothing else is actually worthy of trust. So fear can come when we're not considering how trustworthy God is and how great his promises are. The scriptures frequently pair the exhortation to not fear with a word about God's character and promises. A lot of examples there. Just a couple I'll read. Isaiah 35, 4. I love this. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold your God. Isn't that beautiful? Isaiah 41, 10, fear not. Why? For I am with you. Do not be dismayed. Why? I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Sinful anxiety can often be a mark of trust in self. Again, this, this idea of what is the object of your trust? If, if it's not the Lord often itself. And this self trust is pride. And there is a profound connection between sinful anxiety and pride. First um, Peter five, seven, which I've, Referenced several times already in this lecture, doesn't begin cast all your anxieties on him as if that's a standalone command. It begins casting our anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's not a complete sentence. It's not an independent clause. It depends on what came before it. And what is the, the command that it depends on in verse 6? Humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Humble yourself by means of casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Okay, so to cast your anxieties on him is not to, you know, carry a, uh, take a hike up to a cross on the top of a mountain and, and symbolically place your cares upon this rock and then throw it at the foot of the cross and then walk down. Okay? It means to pray to him. If you've done that, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not trying to dog that. Um, just just it, it to cast your anxieties on him is, is to pray. Okay? Sinful anxiety is opposed to prayer. And Philippians four six opposes these things. Do not be anxious, rather pray. And this also emphasizes the proud self trust of anxiety. In prayer, we show our trust in God by talking to Him about all that concerns us. In sinful anxiety, we show our trust in ourselves by just talking to ourselves about what concerns us. As we turn our concerns over and over and over in our own mind. C.J. Mahaney says, where there's worry, where there's anxiousness, pride is at the root of it. When I'm experiencing anxiety, the root issue is that I'm trying to be self-sufficient. I have to remember whenever I feel buried under care, the real issue is pride and my self-sufficiency. In sinful anxiety, we proudly rely on ourselves as the one who must accomplish the good we're concerned about. The one who must prevent something concerning from happening. If something good is going to come, if something bad is not going to come, it's up to me to make it happen. What can I do? What can I do? Think, 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 think. In pride, therefore, and this is, I got this from Stuart Scott, who himself got it from a Puritan. In pride, we un-God God. And we see ourselves as the one who ultimately is the source or accomplisher or goal as anything that's good or needful. And he got those three from Romans eleven thirty-six. From him as the source of Through him as the accomplisher and to him as the goal are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved Sleep. I love that verse. Okay. Listen, if the Lord, the Lord is the one who from whom all good things come. If you're depending on yourself to be the ultimate accomplisher of any good thing. That is pride. James 4 also teaches um, like Matthew 6 not to trust in ourselves regarding the things of tomorrow. Tomorrow. It says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a midst that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So don't trust in yourself about the things of tomorrow. And it affirms that this self-trust about tomorrow is pride. It, it calls it boastfulness and arrogance in the next verse. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. We are transient. We are like disappearing mists. We are not a God who knows the future and whose will controls the future. So James 3.14 said, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Do you know who does? God and God in Isaiah 40:40 40, 40 through 8 says one of the things that makes him God and no one else God is that he knows the future and controls it. OK, if you try and act like the one who uh, knows the future and the one who on whose shoulders it is to control the future, you are setting yourself in the place of God. All such boast. All, this is boasting and arrogant. Say if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Okay. So planning for the future is not wrong. It's prudential, it's good. You plan for the future in a way that you acknowledge God's sovereignty, okay? and, and you, you trust the Lord that whatever comes of your planning, even if they're frustrated or don't work out, that's gonna be okay because the Lord is the one who ultimately will bring forth everything good, even as you devote yourself to the responsibilities of today. And part of the responsibilities of today might be making a concrete action plan for what I should do tomorrow, five years from now, 10 years from now. Hold it with an open hand. Trust in the Lord. Here's a quote, related quote. Central to worry is the illusion that we can control things. Worry assumes the possibility of control over the uncontrollable, i.e. all things future, or, or anything else, really. What someone thinks about me. Okay, well, good luck controlling that. The illusion of control lurks inside your anxiety. Anxiety and control are two sides of one coin. When we can't control something, we worry about it. That is, if we're trusting in ourselves and not the Lord. When we can't control something that we're concerned about, and we and we cast that on the Lord, we pray to Him. Okay, that's that's the proper thing to do with our concern. All right. So, biblical strategies to respond to anxiety and fear. This should always be the first thing in your. Um, Biblical strategy to respond to, insert any counseling issue. Repent and believe the gospel in an ongoing way. Repent, by that I mean confess with godly grief. Your sinful fear and anxiety to God. Ask him for forgiveness and power to change. This is believe the gospel part. Hope and trust in God's word that you can be forgiven and empowered to change because of what Jesus did for sinners. Further, on repentance uh, about this issue specifically. Repent in specifics of heart idols. Okay? And of any particular expression of unbelief and pride that you are able to identify. So examine yourself. Teach your counselors to examine yourself just like just like God asked Cain, why are you angry? God asked Cain, uh why are you sad? Why is your face fallen? have your counseles ask themselves why am i anxious what what's going on here what am i caring about what am i trusting in and if you discover any hard idols um, or any way that you're not trust that you're trusting in yourself instead of the lord repent in specifics also on repentance purpose to fight hard against these sins by the spirit put to death sinful fear and anxiety we should use the same kind of radical vigor that Jesus tells us to employ against other internal sins like lust. That's something that only happens in your heart and mind, right? And Jesus says, well, you better tear out your eye because um, it's better to go to heaven with two eyes, with one eye than hell with two eyes, okay? Uh, don't don't mess around with internal sin, even at the level of your desire and thoughts. And the same with anger, Okay. We should go, go hard in repentance against the just internal sin of our thoughts and desires. That is fear and anxiety. Remember that the stakes can be devastatingly high with worry too. Okay? The seed of the word of God was choked out by the cares of the world. The concern of the world. And Remember Jesus said, watch yourself lest your heart be weighed down by the anxieties of this life, such that when Christ comes back, it's not a good thing for you. Okay? Um, B, have a cut off your hand kind of radicality about how you seek to repent of these sins. But I would I would emphasize that to those who are Galatians six one caught in this transgression. Further, on believing the gospel, the truths of the gospel relate directly to our temptations to anxiety and fear. Here's one verse that proves that. If God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, all things? So if God gave his son for us, we should consider him infinitely trustworthy. And okay, I would make one change to your notes here i wrote and benevolent without bound that's kind of, that's weird i should have i should have said boundlessly okay and boundlessly benevolent toward us no one talks like that without bound it was really late when i finished these notes <laughs> okay if you're anxious about something And you minister the gospel to your heart. And you minister this promise that that God will freely give us all things. What's the proof? All good and needful things. What's the proof? He gave his son for us. And that doesn't address whatever your heart is concerned about. Okay, then obviously the object of your concern is in the wrong place. And you should repent of whatever idol you have. If If the gospel is not the answer... To whatever you care most about. Then whatever you care most about. Is not what is most worthy of your concern. Okay. As, again that's true with sadness too. If, 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 if you're very sad about something. And the gospel doesn't scratch that itch. Okay. Well then you need to repent. Of what that itch is. Um, what's the object of your concern. Proverbs 12.25. I like this. Thinking about believing the gospel. You can add that reference to this section. Proverbs twelve twenty five says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. A good word. Minister to yourself the good word of especially the gospel, but all of the promises of God, which are all for you if you are Christ. All the promises of God are yes and amen in him. Next, pursue knowing and loving God, his character, his attributes, his promises. We must make our highest concern in life glorifying, enjoying, knowing, pleasing God. This is the put on that corresponds to the put off of um, having idols be the the chief object of our care and concern. Uh, What is your treasure? Well, don't just seek to put off. Worldly treasures and selfish treasures seek to put on treasuring God and knowing him. And, and uh, the a growing love of and treasuring of God is the thing that will cast out of your heart inferior loves and treasures. Consider the supreme worthiness of God and that. Uh, ipso facto will show you the comparative undesirability of all other things. We must trust also that God has promised to give us himself and his kingdom. So the things we should care about most are the things that God promised to give. This is wonderful. This is kind of related to what I was saying earlier. The gospel, the gospel addresses all the things you should care about Most. And so if the objects of your concern are in the right place, then the promises of God are a sweet medicine to your soul. God promises to give us all the things that we should care most about. And here's one way uh, to show that beautifully. Luke 12, 31 says, seek his kingdom. Next verse, fear not. It is your father's good pleasure to give you. The kingdom. Fear not. Behold your God. Okay. Seeing God's glory compels us to love and trust him. Seeing God's glory shows us. Wow. He is. He is. Uh, better than all things. I, I could suffer the loss of all other things and I would consider it rubbish because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord. Um, wow. God is so worthy of Trusting. So worthy of trusting. Brad Bigney said, often people have a general, vague, distant view of God and a living, close, bright view of their problem. Embarking on a lifelong journey to know God is the best antidote to sinful fear and anxiety. Remember, remember the command to fear not is often in scripture grounded upon some aspect of God's character or a promise of his. One thing that Ed Wells says. I think is helpful. Is, is these action steps. Of Philippians 6. For example. Um, don't be anxious about anything. But pray about everything. Let your requests be made known to God. He says. That will only help. If we have a growing personal knowledge. Of the God whom we're calling upon. Okay. So. If I. Uh. Purpose not to be anxious about anything, but instead to let my request be made known to Wesley Hurd, That's not going to help me very much in my anxiety. Why? Because okay, he's not the things that God is. Okay, so if you grow in your understanding of who God is, well then, can't let your, letting your request be made known to such a such a sovereign and good and wise and glorious God. Well, now that that's going to help. Furthering combating idolatry. We should also, in addition to just pursuing uh, a knowledge of God and a desire to please him, also memorize and meditate on verses that undercut the particular idols that we're tempted to cherish and serve. So one idol I'm tempted to cherish and serve is just the idol of my own reputation. So I'm tempted, if I'm tempted to treasure that, that I'm tempted to be worried about what other people think of me, okay? Like, I don't know, when I'm teaching a lecture at BCDC or something. So a scripture that, that uh, I minister to my own heart is Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, which, which goes at that idol, this is just an example. And what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord, and ourselves as your servant for Christ's sake. Okay, so I'm not here to proclaim myself as a good speaker. I'm here to proclaim Jesus as the Lord and his excellencies. And I'm here to proclaim myself in only in the sense of being the servant of these people for the sake of Christ. Okay, so that's a scripture I've I've memorized and I, I pray and meditate on whenever I feel myself tempted to be anxious about this, this thing that I'm tempted to make an idol and, and treasure. Okay. And I can share I can share my sin without blushing before you. why? Because the gospel, okay? Jesus has declared me righteous, He's paid for all my sins, so um, I feel free. and so should you. You should trust in the gospel. also in combating unbelief, learn to trust in specific promises of God's word. Don't just trust generally God's promise to do good things for me generally. Trust specifics of God's Word. And okay, that will help. Related to this is uh, an acronym John Piper put together called APTAT. You can Google that. Piper, APTAT. app AP, tat T-A-T, AP, tat And trust specific promises. See, that's just one example of how you can go about doing this, okay? Next, pray. Pray about everything. Uh, Philippians 4 says, cast all anxieties, First Peter 5, 7 says. Okay, and here's, here's the promise. T- uh, for choosing prayer instead of giving in to anxious thoughts, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is a promise. If you pray and seek to put off anxiety and let your request be made known to God, God promises that his peace will guard your heart and his peace will guard your mind in Christ Jesus so if someone says uh, no i have i've listen i've don't just tell me to pray i've tried praying okay and the peace of god is not guarding my heart and mind i need something else i say okay well either this verse is not true or you're not doing what it says let's think about this okay this verse is true this promise is true Why might someone not experience the peace of God guarding their heart and minds when they pray to God about their anxieties? C, handout. (laughs) I did it this time. All right. 4-7. Well, perhaps they're not in Christ Jesus. It says the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Okay? So, uh, if you tell an unbeliever, even a religious unbeliever, hey, whenever you're anxious, just pray to God. Okay, I don't expect the peace of God will guard their heart and mind if they're not in Christ Jesus. Because if you're not in Jesus is the one in whom we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There is no blessing of salvation that God offers to anyone at any time apart from union with Christ Jesus. Okay? If you have Jesus, you have everything. All good things. If you don't have Jesus, Nothing. Okay, it's an all all or none, a zero-sum game. Would that be an appropriate phrase here? I'm not sure. Okay, why else might someone not experience the peace of God guarding their hearts and minds when they pray to God about their anxiety? Ooh, this is a good one. Perhaps their prayers are just further expressions of the heart idols that are the main objects of their anxiety and fear. For example, if I'm if I want to get into med school and I'm making an idol out of it, okay? And then when I go to take the test and I feel nervous, well, oh man, what if I don't make a high enough score to to make it into med school? Oh, my life would be over. I wouldn't even. It's not even worth living. That's what I want most is just to be a doctor. It's what I've always wanted for myself. Oh, okay, I'm worried about that. I need to pray. The Bible says pray. God, please let me make a high enough score to get in med school. Please let me make a high enough score on this test. God, please. Oh, I'm still worried. I'm still worried. Well. All right, has has God promised you that you're going to get into med school? No. Okay, if your prayers to God are just uh, asking God to be an accomplice in your idolatry, God is not going to answer that prayer. And that's what James 4 says about anger. James 4 says that uh, your anger, sinful anger, comes from your idols. And it says, you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So if you say, oh, if you're bowing down to this idea of yourself being a doctor, God, please help me be a doctor. Please help me serve this idol. Okay, I don't expect the peace of God to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And and this next point on your handout is related to that. Consider the context of this instruction in prayer. There's a command in verse 4, before don't be anxious, pray, rejoice in Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. No matter what happens, I have Jesus and that is a cause for joy for me. That That's what I want most, Jesus. And I have him. Okay, if that's your heart, if Jesus, knowing him and pleasing him, is the center of your concern and care, all right, you've got the heart that, that's ready to receive the promise of Of Philippians 4, 7. That when you pray about anything else that you might be anxious about. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. Because you're treasuring in the right place. Um, And then focusing on his return. 4, 5. The Lord is at hand. Okay. So it's kind of like seeking first his kingdom right. And then don't be anxious about anything. Why? Well in part because you have Jesus. Rejoice in him. Consider how this life is temporary. It's passing. The Lord is at hand. His coming is soon. So don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. Paul's a great example of this in the letter. In this letter of Philippians. In chapter 1, he's in prison. And you know what he says? I don't know if I'm going to die or live. He says, and I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. So do you think if Paul uh had the heart of oh i just what i want i just i just don't want to die god please don't let me die god please don't let me die god please don't let me die, god, let me die. that's just what i want most and he what he was treasuring his own life above treasuring jesus with the peace of god guard his heart and mind and crazy i don't think so but you know if he's the kind of guy who says actually i i just want jesus and so to depart and be with christ that would be far better okay this man has a heart where he's ready uh, for the peace of God to guard his heart and mind when he prays about whatever else might he, he might be concerned about. Okay? Because he has. He has. He reminds himself that he has what, what he cares about most, which is Jesus. Also, you know, the example of Paul, he cares so intensely about the good of others. In Philippians, we see this. And we see that Paul is trusting later in Philippians 4. He says, I know what it is to... Um, I, I, am I know how to be brought low and how to abound in every circumstance. I've learned the secret of being content, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So even when I face hunger and need, I've learned the secret of being content. What is that? Well, I, I can do everything that God calls me to do in Christ. And I have Christ. I rejoice in him always. All right. This man is ready for the peace of God to guard his heart and mind. In Christ Jesus. So perhaps though. Perhaps they're not actually praying. Like this verse says. As, as someone says. Hey I have prayed about it. Okay well let's dig into. what, How have you prayed that? Have you prayed about it with thanksgiving? Are you letting your request be made known to God? And this is related to rejoicing in Christ always. Isn't it? Can you find something to be thankful for. In the midst of your anxiety. If not. Then what you care about most. Is not what God has given you in the gospel. Either that or you're not trusting in them. The gospel with great clarity right then. Um, Also, are you praying as often as you're anxious, letting your request be made known to God? Or is it just, yeah, I prayed about it earlier this week and then I felt anxious about it again on Wednesday. Okay, let you pray. Keep praying. Let your request be made known to God. Or how about this? Are you actually praying to God? Are you actually having meaningful communion with God As your father, or are you just repeating spiritual sounding words to like practice self-soothing, mental relaxation? Okay, I mean, some people, the way they pray when they're anxious, they might as well be saying like puppies are cute and lollipops are sweet. Puppies are cute and lollipops are just calm down. Come on. Oh, God, help me. God, help me. I can do all things through Christ. Actually commune with God and let your request be made known to him. Pray. Actually pray. All right. I've never actually said that to someone. <laughs> Humble <laughs> But you should. Uh, don't tell them I told you. Um, perhaps they're not making effort to do what Paul says next. I, I I'm gonna land the plane five minutes late. Give me three minutes. Okay. After Philippians Philippians four, six and seven, the peace. Pray about everything. Don't be anxious. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. Then do what verse 8 says. Then dwell on these things. Redirect your thoughts. Verse 8 says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, etc. Think about these things. And then verse... So, okay. Don't talk just to yourself about your concerns. Talk to God about your concerns. And then talk to yourself about God. Think about what is... Set your mind somewhere else. Set your mind on things above. And then Philippians 4, 9 says, practice these things that you saw in me. Which means get to work. Okay, start start getting busy taking care of your responsibilities. Okay? So so when you're concerned, Philippians four four, make sure your heart's in the right place. Rejoice in Christ. Four five, look for his kingdom, seek that first. Four six, don't be anxious, pray. Four eight, set your mind on things above. Four nine, get busy. Okay, doing the trouble of today, being responsible before God and doing a way where you seek to please him. And that's this next point. Focus on doing the God given responsibilities of today. I'll let you guys read the next part of your notes. They, They are, you know, it's in paragraph form, basically. So you should be able to if you look up the scriptures, you should be able to follow the rest of the lecture on your own. If there's any point that you can't put the pieces together, the point I make with the verses listed, you can email me. At this. Okay. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you that your word speaks so sufficiently about fear and anxiety. God, give us grace to be um, more equipped ministers of your word and of the gospel to our own heart and to others uh, whenever we or they struggle with this oh so common sin. God, thank you that we have free and full forgiveness of even these sins in Christ that even these sins uh, have been canceled at the cross. God, thank you that you count us righteous as if we have always perfectly trusted you and always perfectly cared most about you uh, like Jesus did. And you count us that way because Jesus did. And you have made us to be in Christ. And so we thank you, God. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.